This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Defined by grace, 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 community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. great for all of us to be together. Last week, outside, I told somebody I'm glad it was last weekend and not this weekend because it's way too hot for all of that. We've been walking through this series, uh, walking through uh, this series on the, the, the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus starts to lay out for us what it means to live in his kingdom, what it means to to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus, what it means to walk as one who follows him, what it means to live like someone who really does love Jesus. What does that really look like? And we've talked about just how upside down his kingdom is. We've talked about all the ways in which it just sometimes just doesn't seem to make sense. Right. Ultimately, this idea of if we want to be up, we've got to go down. How does that work? How does that make sense in our conventional understanding of the world? We've walked through multiple passages. We're going to read through them again. But today we're going to really talk about something that I believe most people don't think they have a problem with. This idea of being a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemaker. Out of all of these beatitudes that we've gone through, the least contentious is this one. This is the one that most folks don't feel at first. They don't feel like, ooh, that's, that's not me. Ooh, that really hits me. Ooh, that really convicts me. Most people somewhere along the way find themselves in their own definition of peacemaking so they feel like they're okay. So let's do this. Let's start the way we've been starting because we've talked about how these beatitudes build on each other. We understand them better when we understand them in concert. So let's look at Matthew 5 and we'll start Uh, At the very beginning, and we'll walk all the way through to verse 9. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's why this verse is something that's really easy to overlook. It's not that anybody has any problem with it, and everybody uh, would see this and not really gristle or have any internal struggle for the most part, because everybody agrees we all want peace. Like everybody, nobody would say, I don't want peace. I know there's a popular meme now where there's this guy yelling out, I want problems. None of us really want problems. We really don't want these kind of, we, we want things to go well. We want things to go copacetically. And honestly, these are good reasons to desire peace, right? During my time in the military, got a chance to serve in two wars and both uh, the, the Operation Iraqi Freedom and Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. And everywhere you go, uh, there's no question there are people who are clamoring for peace. We don't even have to go across the Atlantic 
We know that we have just, as has been prayed this morning or this afternoon, there are any number of issues, skirmishes, reasons for real division right now that we all agree, I just really wish we could have some peace right now. I wish this thing over here wasn't happening. I wish these conflicts weren't happening. Can't we all just get along? Everybody agrees and clamors for peace. And we want it so badly. We want it so badly, we want to hear it from competitions that really don't matter. We want beauty queens to to name, hey, what is the one thing you want for the world? I want what? World peace. We've always, everybody has always said they want world peace. So this is not, the, the issue isn't how do you get people to want peace? The question is, how does one forge peace? Honestly, how does one bring about genuine reconciliation anywhere. If there was a way for countries to forge peace, it would be beyond amazing. People have wanted peace forever. People have wanted peace for thousands and thousands of years, and yet wars still continue. You know what's interesting, over the recorded history, over the four to 5,000 years, roughly 4,000 years of recorded history, Only 300 of those years have gone without any major war. Roughly 4,000 years of recorded history. We only have maybe three centuries without any major war. One writer was quoted as saying this, peace is merely that brief glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload their weapons. And isn't that true? 4,000 years of recorded history. We don't know what it was like before then, but there's only been 300 years where there's been real comparative uh, peace. Now, as we've gone through these series, we have been talking about just this idea that Jesus gives us, this picture of what life following Jesus in his kingdom looks like. And we've talked about how it seems backwards. And we've talked about just the upside down nature of it. And here's the thing, because the, the unique thing is everybody wants peace but nobody wants to really work for peace. In other words, here's here's a better way to do it. Everybody wants reconciliation, but nobody wants to do the work to actually get there. We'd rather just everything be worked out on this side. For some of us, reconciliation just means just stop being upset about that. Just don't bring it up anymore. Because I don't want to have to do the work to remove the reason for the fissure. I would just rather you not bring it up anymore because the real problem is you addressing the problem. That's really what we're telling people when when that's our version of peace. But we don't typically want this. So everybody wants reconciliation, but nobody wants to do the work to bring real peace. If we understood what real peace entails, you probably wouldn't want to put it on your bumper sticker. If you understood what that kind of commitment looks like, you probably would think twice before jumping, jumping in. So this idea of blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the sons and daughters, the children of God. I'm going to give you a few reasons why you probably may not like peace. And I'm going to give you one reason why you should. First, peacemakers. Peacemakers make peace. They they actually do the heavy lifting, the the putting their hands into the dirt and crafting and making 
peace. So consider the conflict. Think of any conflict you can imagine. Think of conflicts in our world, conflicts in our church, in our churches, in our schools, in our cities, in our families. Finding peace is hard because we are not naturally peaceable. We might think that we're, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm gentle, I'm easygoing, I have a peaceful disposition. Therefore, that makes me peaceful. We're not naturally peaceable. Historically, we've almost never been peaceable as we talked about. So what does Jesus then mean here when he talks about being a peacemaker? I mean, this this has been proven to be incredibly difficult. So let's think back to the first century, the audience that was listening to this first message. Think about how the audience would have understood what this meant, what this idea of peace meant. The audience listening to Jesus at this time, they lived during the longest time of peace in the history of Western civilization. They lived during the longest time without any major war. If anybody would have any idea of what a time of peace would look like, it may be them. The Roman world at this time was under a period called uh, peace, or was also known as the Pax Romana. If you lived under Rome, there was this kind of forced, kind of curated peace for those who lived under the rule of Rome. Started after Augustus Caesar and the Romans conquered most of the Western world. It was the longest time of peace. 300 years that we talked about happened during that time. Now, the Romans forcefully brought this long period of time of peace. They forcefully made it happen. And it became this idea that peace then must mean an absence of war. That's it. The the only way that peace could happen was just stopping war from happening. As long as war doesn't happen, as long as we don't have any visible conflict, we have peace. And so you had uh, enemy commanders that had been joined into one army of which Augustus Caesar was the head. And anyone who didn't comply was killed. That was the best version of peace they could come up with. You don't agree? We're going to make sure we get rid of disagreement. We just kill you. And you've got peace, ultimately, through armed revolt. Peace here just simply means um, I don't get what I want. I'll take it by force. For some of us, we still function that way. We still think in order for me to, to, to get peace in this situation, I've got to find a way to brutalize my way to winning this argument. I've got to find my way to forcing my point across so that you have no other choice but to acquiesce. And now we have peace. That was the best the Romans could do. That was the best we've had in in human history. This is the kind of peace, the same kind of peace that the Jews were looking for. We've talked about this. The Jews at the time were looking for their own king. They were looking for their own peace. They were looking for someone to alleviate all of the conflict that they had felt being occupied by Rome, not being given their actual nation back, being given a kangaroo court just to to kind of uh, placate them and pacify them in the moment, having no real representation anywhere, having no real flag or nation or identity, they were wanting to be restored. We've made this joke many times, I'm gonna say it again, they were Amiga people, make Israel great again. And they wanted someone to make them great again. Whoever was going to bring peace was ultimately going to forcibly make everybody else have to agree to what they wanted. That's the peace they wanted. They were like, Rome did it. Why can't our Messiah do it? 
They wanted not just an absence of conflict, but they wanted all of their enemies at their feet. But this is not the peace that Jesus is talking about. You see, he's flipping it upside down its head again. This is what they were thinking. We've got to get into the original audience's mind to understand what the point is here. The point here is Jesus is saying, this is the kind of peace you think you want. I'm going to turn it upside down and tell you this is the peace that God brings. This is the peace your heart should long for. They wanted the peace of the Messiah to come with military might. They wanted not just this absence of conflict and one of their enemies at their feet. And Jesus is saying, this doesn't mean the absence of strife or hostility. Peace is not that. We've got to kind of change our thinking there. If there's a conflict or there's disagreement, that does not mean there's a lack of peace. You realize that just because there's disagreement or issues that are there, if you think if you think that that's a lack of peace, you're going to work hard to just make sure there's never any disagreement. Which means you never get to the point of real issues. That's actually not peace. Matter of fact, that's very different from peacemaking. That's what we would call peacekeeping. Jesus doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. The only thing that comes with a blessing is peacemaking. When I was in the Middle East, you would see the example of really in many ways, kind of the false view of peacemaking we think works. Because you go to an area where there are warring factions and you've got uh, UN, what they call peacekeepers. What are the peacekeepers job? Just to ensure that nobody on one side attacks the other side. Ultimately, they're coming in almost as like a referee. Just make you can think about this. A referee isn't there to make sure that you guys don't have conflict. The referee is there just to police and supervise the conflict. Referee doesn't do anything to remove it. Referee says, listen, I'm giving you the the the, the terms of engagement. And, the, and I'll make sure you don't go over the line. I'll make sure that you don't violate the rules. But ultimately, it's time for y'all to get it on. And ultimately, in, in many ways, our version of peacekeeping or of peacemaking is just peacekeeping. Hey, I'm just going to make sure. All right. Well, I'm going to make sure I do X, Y and Z so that there's no blows thrown because I'm a peacekeeper. I'm a peacemaker. And yet there are real issues that need to be worked out. This peace, the, the, the Old Testament word for this is a word we know if you've been in church any period of time, this word shalom and shalom never means exclusively uh, something devoid of hostility. That's not what shalom means. It's not enough to just say, we don't have any fights, so we're good. I can't tell you how many times, especially in relationships, families, friendships, marriages, when people are like, you know, and and it's just crazy because we never argue. We never have disagreements. We're always on the, if that's the case, then both of you are perfectly sanctified and it's time to go on to glory. Because ultimately, none of us have arrived, right? And if we haven't arrived, that means that there are probably issues that need to be worked out. So if you're not, if I'm not, please don't go home and go, it's time to argue because Pastor Darrell said we need to start arguing. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you need to kind of do, do a deep inventory on yourself, whether you're married or not, And go, what does, really the real question is, what does conflict resolution look like for me? Because any relationship is simply an an, an opportunity to work out peacemaking. Whatever it is, 
Whether you're married, friends, dating, kids, whatever it is, these are all agents of sanctification for your good. And so if I'm in a situation where it's like sometimes we're like, I, I don't like being around because, you know, I just don't want to hear anything that's going to be disagreeable to me. Well, you, you are trying in many ways to just avoid the work of peacemaking. Sometimes I'm not saying you go looking for a fight, but when you're in relationship with people, it's going to happen. You're going to have differences of opinion. You're going to have you're going to experience things differently. Somebody's going to get hurt. Painful things are going to be said. Things are going to be done. How do we engage that? Well, it can't be the Pax Romana approach. It can't be just make sure that there's no conflict. Just make sure that we don't have uh, any type of conflict, because you know what happens? People who are typically conflict avoidance or about conflict avoidance, if they're in a relationship, friendship or otherwise, they're just going to make sure I just don't want to argue. Especially if you're with someone who's really good at arguing. I happen to be that person. If, you, if, you, if you're in a situation where someone's really good at arguing, please hear that. If you're good at arguing, you didn't win just because you argue better. You're not right because you argue better. You may have been more compelling because you have be maybe uh, mastered some verbal kind of eloquent oratorical skills. That does not make you right. It just makes you more persuasive. Sometimes those, those are the most dangerous people because the more persuasive you are, you'll start believing your own lies. So it's not enough to just go, who's the better arguer? Therefore, they get to be the one that settles peace. We've got to come back from that. So, so here's the deal. If you're someone who is like myself, you're, you, know, you, you know how to talk and you know how to argue and all these things, we've got to be able to get to a place where we're going, okay, well, that means I might be inclined to not necessarily hear myself the way that other people are hearing they may not be able to under because I'm so persuasive, they may not want to point, push back on things that indeed might be true because because th these gifts get in the way. Remember, we've talked about this before, the difference between giftedness and fruitfulness. If you're fruitful, you'll you'll pull your gift back in order to actually be sanctified. So here now Jesus is bringing this incredible thing home. He's really saying it's not enough to be a peacekeeper. The blessing comes by being a peacemaker. It means to be in harmony. This word, this deep word of shalom and peace means to bring harmony with God, with self and with others. It carries this idea of reconciliation. It truly does. It's not just avoid the conflict. It's what work needs to be done to make sure that the conflict that's here can be removed altogether. Whatever it is that I did to cause this thing or whatever role I played here, what do I need to do to remove the reason for the frustration or the reason for the pain, if possible, the reason for the bitterness, the reason for the distance and the estrangement? What do I need to do to help remove that? Peacemakers make peace. Second reason why this is so difficult is not just because we have to make peace, but making peace is one of the hardest jobs. That's why Jesus doesn't just say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Sometimes we confuse, as I said before, sometimes we confuse someone who just loves peace for being a peacekeeper. Like, I, I love the idea of peace. Some people are just gen generally agreeable. Some people are just agreeable. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who have a peaceful disposition. 
please understand, because for the one person who's more, I'm good at arguing, there's the other person that likes to pat themselves on the back for being like, well, I just like to make sure that I don't ruffle anything and I want to be able to keep things peaceable. Because, you know, the word that says, as much as lies within you, live peaceably among you. And so they think living peaceably simply means if you have a problem, just sit on it because that's going to cause a problem and be, have a peaceful disposition. Y'all, that's not, that's not what peace is either. We confuse that. We confuse this peaceful disposition and we say, you know, maybe that just means blessed are those who, who yearn or want or desire, who have aspirations for peace. But he's not saying that. He's not saying blessed are those who are easygoing, who are laissez-faire. He's not saying uh, blessed are those who, who, who just kind of go along with the flow to keep people happy. He's ultimately saying blessed are those who want peace or who, who would bring peace at any price. Blessed are those who would not compromise in order to be able to bring about genuine peace. He's not saying blessed are those who live and let live. He's not saying blessed are those who are tolerant to a point where they say, well, as, as, long, as, as long as it's not that big of a deal, it's okay. Now listen, this isn't to say every single point of disagreement we go down. But here's the deal. You know better than anybody else if the point of disagreement is creating real division between you. And if you know it's creating real division, you, you have a mandate upon you. It's not just an option. The reason why we don't do reconciliation well is because we don't do peacemaking well. That's it. We don't do reconciliation well. There are a lot of people who either A, have split from one another because they could not or refused to do reconciliation well because they wouldn't do peacemaking. And there are people who have remained in situations that are actually horribly toxic and unhealthy, but they feel like at least I'm here, so I must be, I look like peace, right? Both situations are not peaceable. Both situations actually violate this. You're not doing God any favors by either separating for wrong reasons or staying together for wrong reasons because you're still not doing the peace work. You're just putting up the curtains. You're changing the paint on the walls, but there's no peace in the house. He's not saying that uh, we have to get to this place where we just do what we can to keep up appearances. That's not what this means. It's not just declaring a cease fire. It's a true uniting of the armies. It's a true uniting of uh, one-time hostile parties. So peacemaking then, this kind of peacemaking, entails more risk. There's risk because now it's like if I'm really trying to, to, to come into genuine reconciliation, I've got to lay some weapons now. I have to trust that you're not going to attack me. That's a huge part. We can talk about that too, what it means for genuine repentance and the fruit of repentance because that's how you begin to trust that you won't be hurt there. Again, there are some situations where the fruit of repentance is not there and reconciliation is impossible. We ought not force that if it's not. But this is hard because in trying to be a peacemaker, you can quickly become the enemy yourself. Maybe you're trying to uh, make peace in the midst of it with someone else. Maybe you're trying to make peace between two other warring parties. You ever try to get in the middle? Folks who are going through really, really hard things and they might bring you in and, and, and you're trying to impartially engage. But then eventually you become the target. Peacemaking is not easy. 
And you got to be careful because sometimes it's not our place to enter in. Got to know what that is too. know the wisdom and, and, and understand what that means. But in all of that, it's so important that we understand like there's risk at play when we try to go in and make real peace. Trying to give counsel that brings more than just a ceasefire, but counsel that allow for hostile parties to hold hands. You see people who are uh, constantly trying to get uh, involved. Sometimes there are people who, uh, sometimes we kind of make, uh, make a point to say, hey, I, 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 want to, I want to feel like a peacemaker, so I'm going to jump in and try to help in these situations. But I don't have the wisdom necessarily to bring real help because I don't understand the nature of the actual schism. So for those of us, all of us who maybe at one point in time or another have attempted or tried to be peacemakers, enter into that process with humility as well. Because in many times, you may become the enemy because you did some enemy stuff too. All of these things are heavy parts of what it means to be a healthy peacemaker. Am I entering in with humility? Am I genuinely wanting to see real reconciliation here? And am I understanding where both parties are? Do I have the right to be there? All those things come up. So ultimately, what is Jesus saying? He's saying that for the believer, agreeing to disagree on major issues isn't peacemaking. He's saying that peacemaking is not passive. Peacemaking is actively pursuing resolution to hostility. This is what God requires from every image bearer. Every one of us actively pursuing resolution to the hostility. So making peace. Why do we see this? You see this in, in Psalm 34. Seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Hebrews 12, strive for peace with everyone. Strive, work. That's not easy. That's not a passive word. Strive, be active, be intentional to make real peace. Albert Einstein, when he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1942, they were asking him about, um, I'm sorry, 1921, they were asking him about uh, how he felt about some of his work and the ways in which uh, his work over time might impact and might uh, impact war making machines. So he wins it back uh, in 1921 for physics and he gave a lecture about 27 years later in 1948 and he starts remarking about what his work has meant for kind of the war making machine. 1948, we already know the atom bomb has been created. It's already been used and deployed. And these people are asking him, how do you feel now that some of the work that you did, you got this work, you create how ironic it is that you got this work and won a peace prize and the work you did helped completely devolve peace in a region. How does that make you feel? How do you reflect on that? And he said these words, he said, it's not a physical problem but an ethical one. What terrifies us is not the explosive force of the atomic bomb, but the power of the wickedness of the human heart. It's explosive power for evil. We say we want peace, but it's hard. And most of us don't really want to make this kind of peace. Because it's an ongoing thing. As long as the heart beats, there's always going to be the selfishness and the struggle and the striving. So we'd rather just do the peacekeeping. That way I don't have to do any striving. I just avoid having to deal with the conflicts altogether. But if I really have to strive, 
I've got to enter into the conflict, enter into the conflict. And I, I wish I could say that I have the strength of Jesus, but honestly, I don't. And it gets exhausting. It gets really tiresome entering into yet another and another and another. Because as long as you live and as long as you are in community with real people, you're going to have another and another and another. So since if we accept that, if it's true that as long as we're living and breathing, we're going to have conflict over and over again. What's better, just avoiding it all or getting better at peacemaking? Like the only way we grow as people, the only way we grow in families and marriages and friendships, the only way we grow is to regularly grow rhythms of reconciliation, rhythms of peacemaking. The more you get reps in that, the better we are at that and the more we look like the beloved community. This is why when uh, in the ways that we uh, see this, we almost have to see ourselves as when you're a peacemaker, you know, people love to talk about like, you know, I'm this and I'm that and I'm an evangelist. I know how to share the word. and I, I know how to share the scriptures and I can talk to anybody about Jesus anytime. You know, the best one of the best forms of evangelism is peacemaking. When you know how to enter into conflict and bring the very heart of Jesus into conflict and begin to find ways to help make and forge peace, you actually look like God. You actually show a picture of who God is. You're painting this picture. You're preaching a sermon about who God is. How do I know that? Isaiah 52, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. What good do peacemakers bring? What does it mean to really make peace? We can go all the way back to the garden. Go all the way back to what happened when God created Adam and Eve. When he created Adam and Eve, he created them to live in peace. That word peace, shalom, means living life the way it was meant to be lived. He created them to live in peace. What does that mean? We've walked this through when we talked through the meaning of the name of our church. Icon, image. What does it mean to image God well? What does it mean to image God well in our relationships to God and to each other? Before the fall, they lived life well. They related to God properly. They related to one another properly. And they become shattered when they sin. So the moment sin enters into the world, the need for peacemaking exists. They become hostile toward God. They become hostile toward each other. And we are the same way. We at times are hostile toward God and each other. Colossians 1 uh, puts it this way, describes who we were, who I was, who you were, all of us, who we are before Jesus changes as he continues to change our hearts. Here's what they say. Paul said, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless reproach before him. So the reason why loving peace, just loving peace isn't enough is because true peace can only come from the ultimate peacemaker. You can't just wake up and decide, I'm just going to find a way to, to just make peace. We try to force it. Give you a great example of forcing peace and it doesn't work. Sad, a really sad example back in, in 1973 in the Dominican Republic, there was a, a man um, who 
uh, began to try to force and bring about peace. He wanted things to go really well in the Dominican Republic, and he began to try to uh, do this big physical act to convince people to want to really bring about peace. And what did he do? He uh, allowed people to nail three six-inch nails into his hands and feet to a cross, went uh, with the hope of being on a cross for about 48 hours. That 48 hours only lasted about 20. He got a horrible foot infection. Then his wife got up and took his place. And they both ended up suffering horrific injuries, ended up not really bringing much at all. They brought a lot of uh, sad commentary on themselves. Meant well, well intended. We, we look at that like, that's crazy. We do that. We'll put ourselves out there and say, well, look at what I'm doing and I'm making myself a martyr here. Do you see all the work that I'm doing and all the things that I'm doing? And it's like, but if it's not rooted in the peace that Jesus brings, then we're just hurting ourselves. We're actually harming ourselves. In other words, if I'm trying to bring peace simply because I just want us to stop arguing, that's not, that's not the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. If I'm just trying to uh, bring peace because I'm just exhausted that we keep going through this every time, that's not necessarily the right heart either. But if I'm so jealous for God's glory in my relationship, if I'm so jealous for God's glory in this situation, if I'm so overwhelmed, if I know, if I start with that first beatitude, if I've mourned my spiritual bankruptcy so much so that I can finally go, it's likely that I might have a lot to do with this problem. If it keeps coming up over and over and over again, there might be some things I need to do. I need to check some things. If I'm able to do that, now I get to a place of deep mourning. Now I want to do the work of peacemaking. Now I want to get to a place where I can genuinely start to say, what do I have to do to remove the reason for the division? The reason why we struggle with that, the reason why we struggle with reconciliation, y'all, and this is super hard, it's hard for me, but this is true. The reason why we struggle with reconciling well is because we still are at our root self-worshippers. I love the way I think. I love the way I function. I love the way that I move. I love the way that I work. And anything that starts to press up against that, I've got all the built-in excuses. I've got all the reasons why I don't need to do it that way. I've got all the reasons why your logic doesn't work and mine does. I've got all the reasons why your experience doesn't live up to my experience. You've got anecdotes. I've got anecdotes. You've got theology. I've got theology. Who battles better? If I'm a better swordsman, I'm the win. I'm the winner. We are self-worshippers first. And, the, and walking with Jesus is a constant. It's a constant time of God's spirit crushing our self-idols over and over and over again. The heart that is an idol factory is being crushed over and over and over again. Say this whenever we're doing premarital counseling. You realize that when you come into marriage and you come into relationship with one another, you are constantly exposing your heart's idols. When you marry someone, you are showing each other the ways that you have become accustomed to self-worship. Let's, let's just all admit it so that we know now how to deal with it. We all are self-worshippers. So if I'm a self-worshipper and you're a self-worshipper, how do we ever reconcile properly? We're not. We're just going to more likely be a peacekeeper and not a peacemaker. You look at James, <clears throat> James 4, and he really does kind of lay this out really well for us. 
James 4, verses 1 through 4, he says this. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Y'all, this is our heart. This is really our heart. This isn't their heart. This isn't the audience of James' letter here. This is all of us. Like any, most places, in most situations, there are ways in which my frustration or my anger or our anger or your anger is rooted in something else that my heart lusts after. Something that my heart wants that I've determined is more important to me than genuine relationship with you. The reason why we sin against each other is because one of us, if not both of us, chose something that we thought was more important than our relationship to God and to each other. That's it. That's the reason why we get conflict. I'm not talking, you know, on a small, even on small levels. If we're not talking about something sinful, right, there may not be a sinful occurrence. You're still having disagreement. But what happens is I start, become, I start creating a sinful attachment to my position on the matter. My position over here is this. I have this sinful attachment to it. And so now sin begins to well up in my heart yet again. My self-worship begins to set up at the same time. And so what does this mean for us? There are reasons for us to still engage. And here's how we know. Number one, we need to make sure we're in the scriptures and looking at how God defines peace. If you regularly read through the scriptures, you will have to face some things that you do not like. I'm reminded of something years ago that me and Dwight talked about years ago. We're talking about situations and we're talking about hard things. And we always had this joke like, I mean, it'd be great to be able to do this, but there's this book right here. There's this, there's some stuff written in this book that I just can't get past. My heart wants me to go over here, but there's these words that Jesus gave that I just, I can't delete them. Man, I wish I could, but I can't. So I got to do something with this. Read the scriptures. And if you read long enough, you're going to find things you do not like. You're going to find things that at least hit you in a way that make you feel uncomfortable. And if it's happening, praise God for it. If you get to a place where everything you read does not push you or, or make you wrestle with some things or make you question some things within, you're not reading it right. This should be, we say it all the time. We read the scriptures and the scriptures read us. Constantly showing us, man, I, man, that's me. Man, I missed it. So you read these passages of scripture that, that emphasize God's control of our lives and not our own control. Hostility will show up. Hostility will show up. By the way, peacemaking isn't peace at any cost, right? At, at the expense of God's character. We don't do that. You don't just go along, well, I, I'm going to make peace and I'm going to compromise areas of who God is in order to do it. That's not what we're saying. But you get to this place where you're, okay, I see God's character. I see who God is. I'm going to fight. I'm going to, without compromise, I'm going to uphold these attributes of God in order to be able to bring real reconciliation. So look at how you are prone to respond to the uncontrolled or the unforeseen. Pay close attention to how you respond to the uncontrolled or the unforeseen. Because if you really are going, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm really trying to hold on to who God is and all the things that I do. Sometimes we struggle with this because many times it's like, well, I, 
Where, where, like we prayed at the beginning, where was God when X, Y, and Z happened? I, I've, I've obeyed and, and, and God didn't come through. Where's my healing? Where's my job? Where's my relationship? Why is this struggle here? Hostility is often dormant and latent until bad things start happening. And Jesus is saying, as we said before, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He's saying, blessed are those who first announce his peace to people who are at war with him. Blessed are those who are able to, to bring peace to people who are at war with one another. We surrender to him then on his terms and not ours. That isn't popular. Jesus says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's not popular. What does he mean? I am the way. That, you would think that that in and of itself would be, well, I don't, wanna, I don't really want to kind of approach life that way because that might cause some division too. Well, no, I still have to function in a way that God's heart is still the one that rules all things for me. So I can't, I can't get to a place where I compromise that. That might cause conflict, especially for some of us who maybe sometimes we've, we've been in this place. Sometimes the hardest conversations are those who have been in church their whole life, but have never known this kind of peace. Because when you start to challenge this kind of peace, it can start to make people feel a little self-conscious. Wait, I've been in church 30 years and I didn't know that's what peace looked like. So either I have to go back and go, man, I've got to go back and, and redefine and recalibrate what it means to seek peace. Or I get defensive and go, no, that can't be it. That can't be it because that 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 is pushing me to have to get way too uncomfortable. No, actually, this is the way that peace is. Thanks for sharing, but I'm good. If we're a Christian, if we're a follower of Jesus, we're going to care about this because this beatitude isn't just about what we say, but how we say it. So so you can't be belligerent and be a peacemaker either. You can't be obnoxious, sardonic wit, sarcasm. This scripture doesn't say blessed are the proclaimers. It says blessed are the peacemakers. So it's not enough to just be like, well, listen, that's just God's word. You don't like it. Deal with it. Hey, why did you say it that way to me? Listen, it sounds like you're mad at my tone, but you don't want to listen to the nature of what I'm saying because we like to be logical. So we like to say that as if the tone doesn't matter. Because that's a real great way to kind of give the ad hominem argument and say, listen, I always say this all the time. You know when you're not ready to deal with the real issue when you start arguing about how you argue as opposed to the actual issue. Like, the, here's the thing, you might, if, if you're trying to get away or trying to make them focus on how you're arguing, you're not even wanting to deal with the issue anymore. But tone matters and the text matters. What we say and how we say it all matters. So we give the truth, but we give the truth in love. Blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the proclaimers. And here's the reason to love this. Said all the things about what it means to do, why it's hard, why, uh, why it's difficult, why we struggle with it. But here's why we should love this. Why? Because we get to be children of God. You realize we, we love to, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. If you somebody were to really press you and go and why you're a child of God, you get some really good answers because I know he died on the cross for my sins. And, and, and I know that that I knew I was uh, here and he saved me. And now I'm here and I've got some great anecdotes about how he showed up and showed out, did all these wonderful things for me, showed up over and over. And I got testimony after testimony. You know what you have not said yet? And here's the ways that I've grown as a peacemaker. I do not hear that in testimonies. We barely will bring that up. 
Here's how I've learned to be able to not only uh, deal with maybe other people's problems, here's the ways that I've been humbled in my own stuff. Here's the way I've begun to pursue genuine peacemaking in my own life. If your testimony or your walk with Jesus has everything to do with everybody else and very little to do with you, you may have made up a whole new version of the gospel for yourself. There's a reason I love this. They shall be called the sons of God. This is a huge reason to love peacemaking because making peace isn't the motive. Loving peace isn't the motive. Being intimately called a son or daughter of God is the motive. I want to. This is what it means to be in his family. This is what it means to be in his kingdom. You know what this also means? The beautiful thing is if he's if he says you do this and you do that, you are my daughter. You are my son. You know what he's saying? He's saying that even in all the ways that you have struggled in this, all the ways that you may not get this perfect. I'm not just tolerating you. I genuinely love you. You are mine. You've got my name on you. As long as you continue to work through and strive for these things, you've got my name on you. That should give us. If you if you're listening to this now, you're like, man, I can just think of a lot of times where maybe I thought I was doing that, but I really wasn't. Or I haven't done that as well. Or maybe I've had some good situations here or there. Here's the beautiful thing about this. This isn't about how many checkboxes do I have so that I can be looked at as enough to God because he did not pre-screen us. He didn't pre-screen you before doing this. He saw all the areas of our heart that's just not present. The self-righteousness, the indignance, the rebellion. You know what he said? I want them. I want them. You don't know necessarily how to reconcile? Absolutely. I'm going to come in and do the reconciliation work for you and then teach you, show you, lead you into reconciliation yourself. That's the walk that we're in until we go go to glory. Constantly having our hearts remade to be able to walk in genuine, what he calls the ministry of reconciliation. So we realize it's not like our wonderful reconciliation skills made us worthy of being brought into his family. We realize in spite of the fact that that's not there naturally, he brought us into his family, especially the fact that we fight against it. What kind of God does this? There's no other religion that works in this way. What kind of God does this? You don't have this naturally. You're not going to be able to hit this mark. I'm going to pursue you and do the reconciliation work for you and then enable you to do it yourselves. Only the God of Christianity. We never, we are never disowned. Our status doesn't change and our inheritance doesn't change either. As he brings up the child of God language, listen to this again, Romans 8, for as many as are led by the what? The spirit of God are called what? The sons of God. So put that together. You seek after reconciliation, you're a peacemaker, you're a son of God. Those who are led by the spirit of God, sons of God. So the corollary has to be true. The only way that I can be a peacemaker is for the spirit of God to be at work in my life. That's it. I can't give you a checklist and go, all right, y'all, now on the wall, I'm going to put up a bunch of different things you can do to become a peacemaker. I can give you examples. I can give you principles. But ultimately, I cannot guarantee that your motive will be right. Only the spirit of God does that. So something about the spirit of God makes us yearn for genuine reconciliation because we genuinely want to bring glory as a son or daughter of God. 
This is why Jesus being our peace, when we sing that, Jesus is our peace, that's why it matters so much. Ephesians 2, Paul said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Do you see that reconciliation language? Every time we've got conflict, there's a wall of hostility. Within ourselves, there's a wall of hostility. And Jesus says, listen, you're not going to tear that wall down yourself. I'm going to come in. I'm going to tear down the wall. I'm going to make you no longer disintegrated. I'm going to integrate your very heart, mind, soul, body, all those things integrated in such a way where my spirit is going to flow and continually change you. You could never do that on your own. I'm doing that for you. Jesus died because of this. He died for this. He became our peace. We've been grafted into God's family. And if we believe this truth, not only are we grafted into his family, but we have the privilege of imitating and emulating our father. That's, that's honestly what we're supposed to be doing, imitating and emulating our father. We are a partaker of the character of God. We're made in the image, the icon of God. God is a peacemaker. So Colossians remind us that he made peace by the blood of his cross. And here's what happens when we really get grace, when we understand grace there, when we know that we belong, when we know we don't deserve to. This is what happens. He, he's my father, so I'm accepted. I don't have to be a peacemaker to prove I'm accepted. I engage in peacemaking because I'm accepted. I'm not proving anything. I'm not showing myself, proving myself to be. I, I can't do anything else but peacemake because this is the family. This is the good stock I come from. He's my father. I'm accepted. See, when these things are true, we become more compelled to be a peacemaker. So are you a peacemaker? Think about whatever conflicts you've dealt with or dealing with now. Just be honest with yourself. <clears throat> Think about any conflict that you've had. Whether in the home, outside the home, think about it over the last several years and be honest. Am I a peacemaker or have I been more of a peacekeeper? Or maybe I've just been a hostile party all the way. And now once you've seen that this isn't about pointing that out and then feeling nothing but shame. Now, go, why? What am I still holding to? What am I still clinging to? What about my father am I not believing? What about who Jesus is am I not clinging to? Have I really known what that kind of reconciliation looks like? Maybe I really don't know that reconciliation yet. Maybe I don't know that part of who Jesus is. Are you moved to seek peace when hostility arises? Do you want to see peace for the right reasons? We should be persuaded by our family. We should be persuaded by our father. We've been declared children of God, reflecting his character. We can't help but seek peace because we're so overwhelmed by the peace that we've been given. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let's pray. Father, you have given us such a, a picture, um, a life lived that genuinely points out and shows what real peace looks like. 
And God, while we can't grasp it perfectly, we can't grasp it. Uh, we don't even emulate it perfectly. We struggle, we wrestle, we rebel against it. And yet, God, you said there's a blessing in this. God, out of all the things you could say when you're sharing your kingdom with us, when you're pointing out what we should look like, what you have died to give us and impart to us, the fact that you include what it means to, pe to make peace speaks volumes. Father, if we're honest, we are we're more inclined to just keep peace at best. We look for reasons to not have to do the dirty work, the, the heavy lifting, the deep digging. And yet, God, you've done that digging for us. So, God, I pray that if there are places in our hearts where we just resist, gently and sometimes even in some harsh ways, remind us of the ways that you pursue peace with us. Ways in which you have shown yourself to be a peacemaker in our lives. God, there are so many times where we don't feel like doing it. We don't feel like engaging. And yet, God, we never stop to think, man, were there times where Jesus didn't want to engage in peace for us? God, we know that you modeled that even in your prayer. If it's possible, let this cup pass. So, God, we know you can relate. Jesus, you can relate with feeling overly fatigued and tired and maybe even annoyed with doing some of this heavy work. You can relate. And yet you show us what it means to always say, nevertheless, not my will, not my self-worshipful will, but yours. God, I pray that you would crush the, 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 the heart idols, the things that keep us worshiping self and not worshiping you, the, key, the things that keep us from being this beautiful, beloved community of reconcilers and peacemakers. God, I pray that you would allow us to call out to identify ways in which we have created counterfeit peace through merely peacekeeping and not pursuing genuine reconciliation with you and one another. Father, we pray that you would do this not so that we can brag, not so that we can just look at and talk about how great we are at this, but for your glory to show, to be able to declare your name famous, to declare your kingdom famous, to make people say, if that's God's kingdom that's coming, I want to be a part of it. And let that be done for your glory and not our own. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.